Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Rachel Hollis podcast. I'm Rachel. I'll be your host. I'll be your friend. Most people call me Rach or mom. So, you know, whatever. Actually, don't call me mom. That, that'll be weird if you walk up to me on the street and just start going there. I, I'm having the best day, guys. I mean, this isn't what today's episode's about, but I'm just having the best day for no, like nothing magical happened. It's just a really pretty day here in Austin, Texas. It's not as humid as it normally is. So I went down to the lake and got a few miles in. It made me feel so happy. And I am the biggest nerd. I don't, obviously you don't hang out with me in real life, so you would not know this about me, but I am the person that if you are walking a dog in my vicinity, I'm going to try and make friends with your dog. I that, That's why, like literally that is why I'm in such a good mood right now. Austin, Texas loves dogs and everybody has one. And if you go out to the lake on a day when it's not too hot, you're going to see a hundred dogs and they're all going to be happy. And some of them are going to be carrying sticks that are like four times the size of their body, which it just, it literally makes me cry. I, I, doesn't it, y'all, do y'all feel this way about dogs? What a nerd I am. No, I'm just going to, I'm going to continue on this topic for just one moment. The only thing better than a dog is a dog with short legs. Uh, my personal favorite dog of all time is a weenie dog. And I understand that a dachshund is not going to necessarily like save you from a burning building or like scare away robbers or whatever. But I tell me a cuter dog. And I saw like three of them today. One was the kind with the long hair and a corgi. I saw a corgi, short leg dogs, guys. I have this like dream for my life, which is to have in my family, I would like to adopt a, not the regular size ones, but the small weenie dogs, preferably with the long hair. Uh, But I also don't believe in I shouldn't say I don't believe in, but I just don't really, um, I'm not the kind of person where I'll go get like a, I don't want to get from a breeder. And so I just, I'm going to put it out in the universe. I was just thinking this on my walk this morning. I'm like, I'm going to put it out in the universe that somewhere someone needs me. They're like moving and they have a long haired, small weenie dog that loves children and is a wonderful dog, and it just needs a forever family, and they want me to adopt it. Or like I sometimes dream that I'll be um, out on at the lake, and you know sometimes how people who are like fostering dogs, well, the dog will be wearing like a vest that says, you can adopt me. And then I'll like see a weenie dog across the way, and our eyes will meet, and that like hearts will explode, and then I will notice they're wearing a vest. And then I'll just start crying and be like... <laughs> You're here. Oh, man. Okay. Man, guys, that had nothing to do with the show. And if this is your first episode and you're still here, bless you. Bless you all. I just want to give you a little joy on this day. Today, we're talking about fear, which has literally nothing to do with weenie dogs or sunny days. But by God, we need something to balance out the hard stuff. Uh, Specifically, we're talking about a fear of failure. It is a common theme that I started to notice several years ago 
I am super blessed and that part of my job is I have got to travel all around the world and speak to groups of people, entrepreneurs and people at conferences. And it's one of my favorite things that I get to do. And in the Q&A sessions at the end, inevitably women would always stand up and raise their hand and start talking about failure. What happens if I fail? And 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 um, you know, what will I do then? And what if it's all for nothing? And they would just sort of have this long list. No matter where I went in the world, I would encounter one person after another who was sort of drowning in this what if scenario as it pertains to failure. And I began to notice two things. Number one, it was never the dudes that stood up and asked that question. I, I've spoken to every kind of group of people, and I've had lots of men stand up at the end and ask questions, and I've never had a man ask a question about worrying about failure. It's not to say that they don't worry about it. It's just to say that a lot of the women in my community, I think, are really focused on this. It really sort of fans the flame of that fear and makes it bigger and bigger. The second thing that I began to notice as I got all of these questions was when you really dug and when you really started to unpack what was there, what you would find was that they weren't really afraid of the failure. They weren't afraid of failing. They were afraid of other people watching them fail. It's a really powerful question to ask yourself if this is something that you struggle with. Are you afraid that you're going to fail or are you afraid that your mother-in-law will see you if you stumble? Are you afraid that your partner is going to judge you? Are you afraid that random strangers on the internet will judge you if you fail at the thing that you're doing? It's something that holds us back. And I think it's prohibiting so many amazing creators, so many amazing entrepreneurs, so many amazing nonprofits from being built, so many amazing products that we're never going to get to see simply because the person with the idea can't get past the fear of failure. So to that end, I wanted to share a keynote that I gave on this subject. This is actually from our RISE conference that we did in Austin, Texas last year. And it was a conversation that I had with the women in the audience and the women watching all around the world about this particular fear. So if that's you, if that is something that you struggle with or you know someone who does, listen to the episode or send it along. Make sure that you subscribe if you dig the content, guys. I always appreciate having new people inside of our community. And as always, if you want to talk to me about what you hear in this episode or ask me questions about something different, you can always call the podcast hotline at 737-400-4626. But this is my keynote on fear of failure. Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast. I spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and trying to find out as much as I can about the world around me. And that's what we do on this show. We talk about everything, life and how to be an entrepreneur. What happened to dinosaurs? What's the best recipe for fried chicken? What's the best plan for intermittent fasting? What's going on with our inner child? How's therapy working out for you? Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. 
Now, earlier today, we talked about our own version of not blank enough and these limiting beliefs that we have that hold us in place. Did anyone have a moment today where you could make a connection to something that happened in the past and why you might have a limiting belief that you hold on to right now? Yeah, let's all just track this. For those of you who are in the room or maybe at home if you notice this. So remind me of your name. I'm AJ. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so AJ, if you remember earlier today, do you remember when AJ said that one of the things that she feared, right, was that you weren't a good enough Christian? Yeah. Yeah. And then we just heard from AJ that when she was 17, the love of her life called her and you didn't say, I don't want to be with you because you're dumb or your jokes are stupid or your breath smells. He said, I don't want to be with you because God told me that we shouldn't be together. Yeah. So now AJ carries around a fear that if she's not the right kind of Christian woman, that she will lose love. Can we track that? Yep. So what I'm trying to help you do today when we talk about this version of not enough is that we can understand where it comes from. Because in reality, when we have fear about anything, our fear, our our not enough, our limiting beliefs always come down to three things. Thank you, by the way, AJ, for, for telling that story. It always comes down to three things. We worry that we are going to lose three things when we are afraid. We worry we're gonna lose love. We worry we are going to lose security. Or we worry that we are going to lose pride. All right, so love, let's start there. This fear of not enough. If I'm not blank enough, then my boyfriend won't love me, then my community won't love me, then my parents won't love me. And maybe we don't even think of it in terms of that, right? Maybe we don't even see it as love. Maybe we think of it as when I post something on social media, if it doesn't get a certain amount of likes, then that means I'm doing something wrong. And don't lie to me. I don't care if you're an influencer. I don't care if you have 10 followers. Who in this room has ever posted something on social media and it didn't do very well in terms of likes and you thought, I did it wrong. (laughs) I did this thing wrong, right? Which is insane, (laughs) right? If you were hanging out with people that you love and know and you were like, oh my gosh, look at this picture of, of me and the kids on the beach. Your best girlfriends or your mom or your Aunt Linda would be like, ah, they'd be so happy to see that picture. But you post it for a bunch of strangers and they don't love it the way you want them to. And you think, I am wrong. Yep, I didn't, the lighting wasn't good. The angle was terrible. Nobody wanted to see me in a bikini. My kids are ugly. Like I shouldn't have posted them, right? It's crazy. And the thing is that seems very surface level, but if you unpack and you sort of dig down to the core and you like go deeper and go deeper and go deeper, it comes back to this thing of, how does that equate for love to you, right? Or how does that equate to security for you? So let's say that you're someone who makes their business with social media. So maybe it triggers you not because you care about the love, but because less likes make you worried that you're not gonna have as many clients. And if you don't have as much clients, you're not gonna have money. And if we don't have money, I can't pay the bills. And if we we can't pay the bills, then we're all gonna starve and it's all my fault. And it's always something deeper. 
Our anxiety, our anxious thoughts will try and make us believe that the thing in front of us is the actual problem. Oh, I know, I just need to actually hire a professional photographer and have this airbrush and get my hair blown out next time and then I'll post that picture and then that's the answer. We look at a very surface level instead of trying to understand what we're really afraid of. The third reason we have fear is because of pride. We've got a lot of pride. Oh, I posted a picture once and it got 100 likes and then this picture only got eight. And not only did it only get eight, but everyone saw that it got eight, right? See, we're gonna talk as we go on this afternoon about the idea, like one of the biggest fears that happens in this community is a fear of failure, right? The feeling of not enough is what makes us believe that we are going to fail at the thing we are trying to do. AJ is worried that she's gonna fail at being good, right? Because if she fails at that, all kinds of things are gonna happen. She's gonna lose love. People are gonna stop loving her. It happened before, her brain says. Why wouldn't it happen again? She's gonna lose security. Like Jedediah talked about this idea of losing his community and his fear that if he didn't act in a certain way that he would lose the people that he had come to count on, right? Or pride. There's a lot of pride in being good. I'm gonna guess that AJ lived her whole life learning how to be a good girl, right? Most of us did. That's what we were taught. I wasn't taught to be bold or audacious or speak my mind or stand in my truth or make myself bigger. And I just, Katie's mom, who's Katie's mom? What's your name? My, I just wanna honor you and every mom who is watching this with a daughter right now. Because what you're giving Katie is the knowledge that we didn't have when we were little. And that is incredible. And the thing is, we have to figure this out in ourselves so that we don't keep repeating the cycle. This is a generational cycle, whether you have daughters or sons or no children at all, that we just keep perpetuating. Be a good girl. And that meant different things in different families. In my family, it meant close your mouth and be pretty and speak up when we want you to, and then we're gonna ignore you the rest of the time. That's what it meant. That's what it was to be good. And then, oh my gosh, I had this horrible tension and this crazy anxiety, and I felt like I was wrong because I can't shut my mouth. Seriously, clearly, guys. I was like, I think I have ideas, and maybe there's something I could say, and maybe I could write down words, and all the noise in the back of my head told me that that was wrong. And I was trained to believe, and I see a lot of you nodding, and I'm like hyped that you're getting this, because to me it was, mom and daddy aren't gonna love me if I don't behave the way that I'm supposed to. And if mom and daddy don't love me, then I don't have the security of the family. And in my case, it wasn't pride in myself, it was their pride in me. Their pride in me was a very big deal. And that's what you needed to show up for. That's how I checked the box. So what I'm gonna ask you right now is your personal brand of not enough, what is it that's really at play there? What's the real fear? Are you afraid of all three? Are you afraid of losing love? Are you afraid of losing security? Are you afraid of losing pride? See, here's a funny thing about failure. Anybody have something they wanna try but they're super afraid to fail at it? One, that chicken me? <laughs> Come on, we got bigger than that, thank you. Thank you for your honesty. 
And what I always find so interesting about this is this idea. Are you afraid to fail or are you afraid of them watching you fail? Because that's ego. That is not you thinking that you're not gonna be very good at the thing that you're trying. That is you being afraid that they, mama, daddy, the girls from eighth grade that you're still friends with on Facebook, right? Those people, we got some high schoolers in the room, some middle schoolers in the room, some kids watching at home. God forbid that they see you get it wrong. That you didn't, like, isn't it crazy? Isn't it so crazy that the stuff that we had when we were Katie's age, we're still carrying around with us right now, right? I, I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna acknowledge them because they're in the room. My kids have never watched me do conference before. My two oldest boys are here. And hopefully they're not on their phones, <laughs> ignoring what's happening. But um, my second oldest son just celebrated a birthday and I bought him shirts. And I just, okay, let me just paint a picture for you real quick. I'm not a regular mom, I'm a cool mom. <clears throat> I'm not, but I really wanna be, okay? And nothing is more hurtful than when you think, anyone here, you're like, I'm so cool. Like, I wish my mom was this cool. <laughs> and then I will say things and I will be shut down so hard that my soul breaks. <laughs> I was driving them to school yesterday um, and we picked up my, um, my oldest son's in high school and we picked up his friend. And guys, real quick, how crazy is it that kids today think they invented the current style? <laughs> oh, did you invent the oversized overalls? Did you invent the scrunchie? Was that you? So all this stuff, I don't know if y'all have teenagers or middle schoolers, but I'm telling you right now that they are wearing what we wore in middle school and thinking they originated it, okay? So. Um, the new thing that I heard them talking about yesterday, they're gonna kill me for this or roll their eyes and be like, my mom's the lamest. Uh, I had my middle schooler in the car and then my high schooler and we picked up his friend. And the two high schoolers in the back and they're talking about Paris Hilton. She has a new show on Netflix, if you're not familiar. And 14 year olds are like, Paris Hilton is the thing. And they're gonna have like a party and they're gonna do like a Paris Hilton and it's, they're calling it That's Hot Fest. I swear it's true. Right, they're cooler than we ever were. But the point is, my point is, I'm hearing this, I'm driving them to school and I'm thinking, I'm not a regular mom, I'm a cool mom. So I try and be cool. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Paris Hilton, you know what's crazy, you guys, is um, she has been around for like 20 years. And um, <laughs> when she first came out, she was on the show, uh, and um, my best friend and I, for Halloween, I was Paris and she was Nikki, Nikki Hilton. And um, they're like, who's Nikki Hilton? I'm like, what? But I'm like, no, you're not getting the point. What I'm trying to tell you is that before Paris Hilton was cool, I knew she was cool and then I went dressed as her for Halloween. <laughs> I was like, don't worry guys, I'll find the picture, I'll show it to you. And like, I could just feel the cringing from the back seat. I could just feel my 14 year old being like, oh, mom. And I was so sad because I thought we were about to bond and, and we were not. But what is so crazy to me, so my 13 year old just had a, a birthday and I wanted to get him some clothes. Cause I don't know if you know this, but um, 
middle school boys are gross and they just wear the same three t-shirts over and over. Katie, just don't, you don't even ignore, just ignore them. They're, they're gross. They smell probably for like the next 20 years. So I wanted, I was like, oh, I'm going to get him because he just wears the same three shirts. And like, I want, I'm like, oh, he's cool. I'm going to help him be cool. And so I go to buy him clothes for his birthday. And I'm thinking, I'm not a regular mom. I am a cool mom. I am not going to Target. I'm going to Urban Outfitters. All right. So I live out in Hill Country. I drive into, there's an Urban Outfitters, literally right there, y'all. I drive to Urban Outfitters and I'm like, whatever, it's cool. I'm cool. I got my biker shorts on because I remember the 90s. And I'm wearing my flannel, even though it's 100 degrees in Texas, because I'm cool. And really, I just wanted to cover the cellulite on my butt. It's fine. So I go into Urban Outfitters, and I'm ready for some girl named like River or Moonbeam or whatever to help me find clothes. And Urban is wild, first of all. Kids are, y'all, these kids are crazy. I don't know what they're wearing. Uh, But I go in, I'm just trying to find shirts. That's all I'm trying to do. And I just feel like the most overwhelmed, whatever. And I pick out three shirts that I think are sick. And the fact that I'm using the term sick probably tells you how not sick they were. And I'm waiting, right? I wrap them all up and I'm super excited. It's his birthday, it's family dinner and I got my two best girlfriends there and like we're all here and we're eating the food. I'm like, this is the moment. He's gonna open these, love me forever, right? And he's gonna wear them to school and be like, I am cooler because my mom made me cool, right? And he opens the first thing and he's like, you know when they're doing the thing because they know that you care? And he's like, cool, 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 cool. Yeah, yeah. Oh my, yes. Cool. Who, mom, what is uh, Pink Floyd? And I'm like, oh. Okay, great. And I'm like, it's fine because I did just in case I went to another store and I got him a Whataburger t-shirt. Because I was like, that's got to be your 14. You live in Texas. That's got to be the jam. And he opens up that T-shirt. And he's like, oh, it's so big, mom. It's so big. And I'm like, well, you told me the biggest baggy is cool. This is the 90s all over again. And it's just breaking my, and I'm like, I know that these are cool. I know it in my heart and my soul. And I'm watching it play out in his face. He's like, I just got three new $100 sleep shirts. I'm going to sleep in these for the next five years. And what I think is so crazy, I was watching this play out. Obviously, he is an individual human. He can wear whatever the heck he wants. And he's going to look great and feel great and the whole thing, right? But it reminded me of being in middle school. It reminded me of had I gotten a super sweet Pink Floyd t-shirt, Sawyer. (laughs) I wouldn't have worn it because that's not what the other kids were wearing. Because in my head, I wanted security and I wanted love and I wanted pride. And what I thought I needed to do in order to have those things at 14 or nine or 35 was to conform. If I can look like you and act like you and be like you, if I can play small, if I can stay in my lane, then that is what will give me those things that I am after. And man, I wish I had known. I wish I had known. Like, what would you pay at your age to just go like live in your high school body for like a minute? (laughs) Remember, what's the movie with um, Drew Barrymore where she like goes back and she's like in Never Been Kissed? And she goes back and like she knows all the things. 
how much would you just kill? Was anyone like the <laughs> biggest loser in high school and you were like, I would kill? Because I understand now what I didn't know then, which is that the coolest people in the world are the ones that have the confidence to be themselves. And the fear of failure thing is so whack because guess what? We're all gonna fail. Like right now, who in this room is dreaming of doing something, is hoping it's big, it's audacious, you don't even like, how in the world can I even do this thing? But you have this fear that if you try this new thing you've never done before, that you're gonna fail at it. Or maybe you're gonna try it and you're gonna suck at it. Anyone? No one is afraid of sucking at something new. Thank you. Let me give you this gift. This is one of the most powerful gifts I can give you right now. You're gonna suck. (laughs) You are going to suck so hard because you've never done it before. Why on earth would you be good at a thing that you've never done before? I will tell you why. Because when you admire something out in the world, when you admire someone else's story, someone else's business, someone else's marriage, someone else's health, someone else's clothes and style, when you admire something else, you assume that they are at the same place that you are, but they figured it out better than you have. You are comparing your beginning to someone else's middle. You are seeing me right now. I'm talking to you. I have some notes on this, but mostly I got like things in the back of the room, the timer, like, hey, Rachel, don't talk for nine hours. These people want to go have queso later. (laughs) But I come up here and I stand in front of you with a rough idea of what I am going to say, but no real clear vision. Clearly, you guys can tell. (laughs) You're like, Rach, nobody thought you were that ready. Why can I do that? because I have done this thousands of times. You are looking at 15 years of speaking on stage. And five years from now, you're gonna think this was garbage. Five years from now, I'll be levitating like David Blaine. (laughs) Like I'll have figured that out. I don't know. And I want you to know that when I first started to speak on stage, I wrote all of my like, an entire keynote I wrote on um, thick uh, like uh, note cards and I would hold them in a stack, right? Because I was so scared. And because I was a crafter, I did put a washi tape design on the last card so that if you were sitting in the front row like you are, that you at least saw beautiful washi tape design. And I would stand and I would hold them and I would do this. Welcome. I would never look at the audience. I was so scared you could hear my voice shake. Who's ever had to do public speaking and your voice shakes and you're like, oh my, they can hear my voice shaking. And then that makes it shake harder. It was so bad. And when I would first do speeches, I would do them at conferences where you could go to different rooms. You didn't have to stay in my room. And and have you ever been to a conference and people start getting up and leaving? And you just want to die. You want to die. And then there's like one kind woman in the front who knows she's the last one in the room. She's like, we're in this together now, sis. Like, tell me about revenue. Let's go. It's so mortifying. You suck. You suck. That's what it is. The question is not whether or not you're gonna suck at doing a new thing. The question is, are you willing to suck long enough 
to become a little bit better and to become a little bit better. And this is for everything, for everything that you will do in your life, how you parent, how you love your friends, how you love your partner, how you show up in business, how you show up in faith, how you show up in life. You're gonna suck. But if you have the intention to become something better in this way, you're gonna take one little step. And for me, speaking on stage, it started with those note cards and the shaking, and then one time the most amazing thing happened. Someone laughed. And I was like, (gasps) my parents never saw me, but you see me. This is a new high that I can chase. This is a new thing that I can achieve. All of a sudden, I got feedback. See, you are never gonna become better unless you can stay in it long enough to get the feedback that you need in both directions. Sometimes, oh man, when I started talking about that point, 10 people got up and left the room and there were only 12 people to start with. So I guess the part where I talk about this maybe isn't that interesting. But when I said this story, they laughed. And when they laughed, it means that we had a point of connection. So what does it look like if next time I lead with that and I sort of polish up this moment? Uh, if you, I think you know my story. I was married. I was with my ex-husband for 18 years. Beautiful life that we had together. But I met him right before I turned 19 years old. And because I was a good Christian girl, um, I, uh, I had never even been on a date before, okay? Use your imagination. My kids are in the room. I'd never been on a date before, okay? So I had one experience with dating, one experience with one human, one. So I found myself, 37 years old, last year, literally single for the first time in my adult life. Zero idea, nothing, no concept (laughs) of how to talk to another human, right? And thank God, the intention or how I ended up meeting my boyfriend was through friendship because I think that if I'd ever actually had to go on a real date, I would have just turned into an Android, started like doing some of these moves. It was so, um, I will tell you this story because it's hilarious and my kids have already heard it because I'm a loser and I think it's so funny. Let me just tell you real quick about how you can get better at things. Um, Let me tell you about the first time that I kissed my boyfriend. This is funny. Uh, So... I had um, Dave, my ex-husband, dear friend, love him so much. That was the only kiss, right? And then (laughs) I find myself and I have this friend and I'm feeling weird and I'm getting more awkward. And time's going by, I'm like, I think I like this person. I don't know what to do. It's like me holding the cards and shaking on stage. And I'm like, what do you do if you like someone? And I'm 37 and I should know these things. And um, there we're, it's like nighttime and we're outside in the stars and the wind is blowing. And um, just to paint a real quick picture for you, because I have zero coolness, zero skill. I am wearing uh, my baggy sweatpants with holes in them. If you're familiar, I have Birkenstocks and socks. Got that combo. Oversized t-shirt, oversized hoodie, because I didn't know. I didn't know. I have, I have zero game. I don't know how to be cool. I didn't understand that I was about to kiss someone. I was, yeah, right? So I go out to the front porch because he's leaving and I walk into the front porch and just FYI, if you also have been in a relationship for a long time and you don't remember how this happens, you can tell. (laughs) 
you can tell that something's about to happen. You can tell that you're about to have a kiss. So I walk out and I'm like, well, safe drive, whatever. And like a breeze blows and I'm like, oh no, it's happening, it's happening. Yes, right. My heart, I haven't told you this story, Asan, this is crazy. You saw him yesterday though, he's real cute. You get it, okay, so. I'm like, oh, it's happening. This is, this is the moment, right? And, um, and then, I don't know, however a kiss happens, he, like we, he leans in and then I just kiss, right? And immediately, my brain starts screaming. My brain is like, oh my, ah! we're, okay, 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 it's go time, we're kissing. Wait, how do I, what do I do with my lips? Um, are my teeth, should I bite? No, don't bite, don't bite. What do I do? And as I'm talking, I'm like, oh my, the whole time, my hands, I've been holding my hands out like a dolphin, like flappers, <laughs> nothing, not touching him. Where do I put my hands, what do I do? And then I'm like, oh my gosh, his hands are on my, my back, and oh, he just touched my hair, and I'm just freaking, and then he holds my face, and he says, you don't have to talk. Which was when I realized that all the things I just said to you were coming out of my mouth. I literally said audibly, do I bite? I said out loud, wait, do I use tongue? How does a tongue, should I touch it? Like I just, like terrible. He says, you don't have to talk. But not in a sweet, and, but like in a, is this woman about to kill me and make a coat out of my skin? Like in a very concerned way. And I want you to know that was a pretty sucky first kiss. I've gotten so much better, you guys. I barely talk at all now. Like I got it down. And I'm telling you that story to make you laugh, but I also think everything about that experience, everything about the experience of like dating, dating again and not knowing how to do that. And, you know, Tana, this is for you as you sort of look into those of you who are single, who are trying to figure out what this new evolution looks like and how you want to show up with a partner, or those of you who are inside of a relationship and you're trying to understand what a new and beautiful and vibrant version of the two of you looks like as you move forward, right? That feels awkward. That feels uncomfortable. And there were times that I was like, I am so bad at this. I should just definitely not do this. Who's ever thought that? I am so bad at this thing. I definitely should not do it. But remember, John told us everything worth having is uphill. Being in a new relationship meant that I had to make myself incredibly vulnerable. Means that I had to do a lot of therapy about what the past looks like and not comparing it to the future means that I need to be present in this moment and who I am now. Think about this, this is wild. Any of you who are single or maybe newly single in the same way that I am, this is a trip. My last partner met a 19-year-old girl. My current partner met a 38-year-old woman with four kids. Those two could not be further apart. So no matter how you're showing up in life, whether this new thing that you're trying to do is a relationship or a business or a book, whatever is new and different for you, even if you've done it before, you have not done it as this version of yourself. 
And if you are functioning as a new version of you, that means that you need to show up in a new and different way with new and different skills. So let's combat our version of not enough. One of the things, hopefully you wrote down if you didn't. Did you guys get a chance to write down your version of not enough? Okay, great. So on page nine, I want you to pick the one that feels biggest to you, feels scariest to you. What is the biggest limiting belief that you have right now when it comes to the pursuit of who you want to be? I am not blank enough. Let's pick that one and put it in the middle of page nine. And now we're gonna track it back to our past because we wanna understand when this fear started to show up for you. When you think of that version of not enough, whatever it is for you, what is the insecurity that is at the heart of that? Are you afraid of losing love? Are you afraid of losing security? Are you afraid of losing pride? What do you feel insecure about when it comes to this limiting belief? The next question on this page is, can you identify at what age you remember feeling this same insecurity for the first time? So you heard me talk about this in my conversation with Jedediah. I've done a lot of work on myself at different ages. See, I think we're taught that we grow out of our past selves and I think every single version of us is right here inside. Every fear, every insecurity, every piece of goodness, every piece of light, all of those ages are lined up going all the way back. And if I look at the insecurity when it comes to a new relationship, I can identify it with myself at age 16. Why? Because in my family, you were not allowed to date until you were 16. My parents were incredibly strict and it was a really specific number that our whole family knew. And so when I turned 16, I didn't really like anybody. Please track this with me. I didn't really like anyone, but I knew that that was the age in my family that you were allowed to date. And I also grew up in a place that believed, and I am welcoming of every kind of human. And if you are watching this and you think this is true, you do you. But I grew up in a family and a community where what a girl was meant to do was find a good man to marry. If you did other things after that, groovy. But your success was, could you find a man that could love you and be your husband and then you're gonna have your kids and then you're gonna do your thing? That was what I grew up being told. And so something weird happened to me at age 16 where I was aware that now it was time to have a boyfriend. But if you think I'm awkward now with the dolphin flappers, I want you to imagine me with braces and acne and zero ability to pick out an outfit and shopping at the Goodwill and no social skills. That, that's what was coming at you, okay? Nobody was lining up for Rach. Nobody was like, mm, there she is. She's got corn stuck in her braces from last night. I bet she's awesome. So. At what age can you remember feeling this insecurity for the first time? So someone shout out at me, your version. And if you already said yours, let's, let's do some newbies. What is your version of not enough? Let's just shout them out. I'm not nice enough. Woo, yes. Anyone ever felt like I am not nice enough? Okay, great. You are not alone. What else? 
I'm not empathetic enough. Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah, I don't have enough empathy. Um, what was, I just heard someone say, independent. I'm not independent enough. What does that mean to you? Okay, so what does um, it mean? To be able to do things on my own without anybody else. So I am not independent enough. I am not able to do things on my own without anybody else. Correct. Go deeper. What does that mean? Relationally, take care of yourself. Um, security, security. Mostly. Okay. I was raised in a family where like dad did all of those things. And right. he did all of those things even when I was well into college. So right. financially, like making sure bills were paid and things were done right. correctly. Right. So, so in your, the way that you were raised was the man takes care of yes. the finances. He does all of that. He knows. And yes. mom's attitude was what? What he says goes. Right. And kind of hiding things on the side. Right. Okay. So like, oh, I'm going to go shopping and he'll never know. Okay. Right. right. But she taught me to buy things when you grocery shop so that he wouldn't figure it out. Right. Ooh, I want to unpack this for like an hour. The layers here are good. Okay, but let's stick with the independent thing real yeah. quick. So I'm not independent enough is one of your fears. Yeah. How does that show up for you as a limiting belief? What is that keeping you from doing? It's keeping me from, from starting my business and really going all in on it. Right. Um, it's keeping me from, well, it kept me in a marriage that I wasn't happy with for mm -hmm. a very long time. That's right. now ended. Right. Um, and that's been helpful because yes. I'm learning I can. Yeah, right. Absolutely. But the biggest thing is just sh giving myself the financial security that I thought I just was supposed to have from having a husband. Right. And I just, I want to honor this and like the, the truth in what you said. I freaking promise you that you are not the only woman in this room who has ever felt like in order to be financially secure, I have to have a partner to be financially secure with. Who has ever felt that? Or maybe you're watching at home and that's something that you can raise your hand. And I just, if you look mm -hmm. around the room, you'll see so many people raise their hand because that was the filter that we saw growing up. Exactly. Now I am positive, whether it's in this room or watching at home, that someone was raised by a badass single mom, right? And a badass single mom, if you were raised by, Gianna is not confused about whether or not she can take care of herself, right? Because you, did you see that modeled for you? You might have, you, we, you got, we all got our stuff, right? We have other things, but that's not the filter that she has. And so what's really interesting is that you understand where that comes from. When was the age that you can see this insecurity? Like, can you think back to you at a certain age? What is it? I feel like it was when I left for college when I was 17, because it was when I was leaving the house and like, oh, I'm still going to need my dad. Right. Like so you had to be independent for the first time, but you don't feel like you actually can. Well, and I also don't think I was really allowed to be. He still kept like doing things for me to make sure that they got done in his right correctly, even right. though I was fully capable. Right. So remember, we talked about this earlier. When someone is making a fear-based decision out of love, like they love yeah. you so much, but it's it's couched in fear. So they're doing something because they're afraid for you. So he's going to keep instilling in you that you can't do it by yourself. Which is, it's not that he doesn't love you or believe in you or think you're amazing. It's that he has a fear, oh my gosh, if I don't take care of her, yes. what is going to happen? Right. And do you know enough about daddy's background to understand where that comes from for him? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So is there something in his past that makes him believe that that is his role? Yes. Or it's that he didn't have it's it? cultural. Right. In, in, for him. Yes. Right. That that is the job, right? Yes. And so here you are, and you're how old? I'm 34, almost 35. Okay, so almost 35 years old, and you're struggling with this fear of independence. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
If you can think back to yourself, college age, I want you to, and do this with me while I do it with her. I want you to think of yourself at the age where you feel like this insecurity showed up. And if you have to close your eyes, if that makes it easier, I want you to think back to this version of you. What does she need? She needs to be given the opportunity to try. She needs to be given the opportunity to try. What else does she need? Um, Grace. She needs grace. What else does she need? Um, uh, Like a soft spot to land. Like when, because I'm not going to do it all right. So somebody to help me when I need it, but not be there all the time. Right. And so here's the beauty of independence, okay? Is that you give yourself those things. You give yourself those things. So our mind, our subconscious mind does not know the difference between things that actually happen and what we imagine. I talked about this earlier in the conversation. It's why you can have an anxiety attack thinking about made up things. You can actually make your nervous system overreact and go haywire by imagining scenarios that have not happened. So that is a really negative way that our subconscious works, but a really beautiful way that our subconscious works is that you can go back right now in your mind, or you can do this soul work later tonight, and you can imagine, do you have kids? Yeah, Okay. You have a four-year-old. A little boy or a little girl? Boy. Okay, so you have a little boy. Mm -hmm. I want you to think, if he was 17 years old, which is hard, because, oh my gosh, when they leave for college, I'm just going to be a basket case. (laughs) But I want you to imagine that your four-year-old is leaving for college, he's 17, and you know for him that he needs a soft spot to land and grace and the chance to try. From a mother's heart, I want you to go back and I want you to imagine, I want you to envision it like a movie in your mind of you, Priya, at 35, giving 17-year-old Priya what you did not have. And maybe that means that you give her what your mother should have given you. Does that make sense? That she should have stepped in. She did the best she could with what she had. All of our parents did the best that they could with what they had. But it also means that instead of teaching you how to stand up for yourself, she taught you how to hide. Yes. Right. And that's okay. Those are the tools that she had. But you, with your mother's heart, can go give your 17-year-old self what you didn't have in that moment. And anytime you find yourself falling into these insecurities of not enough, if you can track back to yourself at a younger age and just ask that simple question, what did she need to hear? What did four-year-old me need to hear? What did 22-year-old me need to hear? Because it changes at every age and in every scenario. But it is a beautiful journey that you can go on. I think that we can heal a lot of the wounds from our younger self by ourself. I think so sometimes when we're grown-ups and we start to do this work and we start to understand maybe that some of the choices our parents made, whether from a place of love or from a place of fear, maybe they made crappy choices. Some of us in this room had parents who hurt us. But we can look back through the eyes of an adult and wish it was different and want it to change. And we can feel sad or we can feel angry or we can feel bitter. We can feel all of these negative and suffering emotions about what we didn't have. And sometimes I think we think that if we just have enough time with mama and daddy, if we just grow enough, that then they're gonna be who we wish we would have had. Even from a place of loving and caring for you, you sort of go, man, daddy, I wish... You had a little bit more of like 
a modern sensibility about who a woman is, right? I wish that you had done this. Or I wish that mom had shown up in this way. I just, I wish she'd been a little bit more loving. I wish she would have apologized for this thing. We think that if enough time passes that then they'll become who we want them to be. And they're just gonna be who they are because they're on this journey too. Every single person in your life is on a different place of their evolutional journey. And some of us know people who are never gonna change more than a few inches in either direction. And some of us will encounter partners and friends and parents who have wild, drastic, life-changing, beautiful transformations. But if you are hoping that that will happen in order to have the healing, it never will. But you can give it to yourself. So flipping your version of not enough and understanding where it comes from like I was talking to Tana about this earlier, you already have it. You have a maternal love for your son. And if you have a maternal love for your children, or maybe you don't have kids, you have maternal love for children in your life, or maybe you have love for your friends around you. If you have that love in your heart, then you already have it to give yourself. Okay? Guys, give it up for Priya. We turn a corner now. We turn a corner. We have been talking about hard things and good things and what the world looks like and what the past looks like and what our own particular road is from there to here. And we have to make a decision. We have to make a decision that we are not going to let those things anchor us to the earth anymore. What are the things that we're gonna let go of? My, my girlfriends and I are, we've got some witchy tendencies and we love a full moon. Look it up, it's awesome. Uh, but a full moon, there's all sorts of things going back forever about what a full moon represents and how it affects the tides and how it affects women's bodies. And uh, my best friend, uh, it was so perfect because we all just are, full moon's a big deal for us. And then my best friend, um, just such a story of triumph, and I wanna share this today because I know there are those of you who are battling infertility. My best friend tried for three years to get pregnant and got pregnant, and her son was born two weeks ago on the full moon. She went into labor on the full moon, and we were all like, yes, it's so perfect. But the full moon represents letting go. A new moon is about asking yourself what you wanna manifest, and a full moon is about letting go releasing. And every single month, we do a full moon dinner. If it's with my friends or my kids, I have special moon plates. They have stars on them. I've got moon napkins. It's super nerdy. And it's not a way that I grew up thinking, and I don't even really know what I'm doing, but what I like is that once a month, we sit down as a family and we talk about what we need to let go of. And I think that if I could teach my kids this now, if they ask themselves intentionally once a month what they need to let go of, there's something beautiful that happens. And what's interesting is that when we started this process like over a year ago, we would go around and they'd be like, oh no, I need to like, I don't know, I need to like let go of being so cool <laughs> or whatever they do or say. And I swear to you this month after doing this for a year, was the first time that we went around the circle and, and all three boys, my daughter's four, she's just like happy to be there. She has no idea what we're talking about. But all three boys 
actually intentionally said something in their lives that they knew they needed to stop doing. Beautiful things. I need to let go of caring about what other people think. I need to let go of focusing on the wrong things and obsessing over the wrong things. I need to let go of worry. My nine-year-old said, I need, he, he gets really anxious about things. And he said, I, I know that I need to stop focusing on the things that make me anxious. And have you ever had a moment where you've been telling your kids something over and over and over, and then all of a sudden they get it and you're like, I am the greatest parent of all time. <laughs> like, oh, interesting, say more. <laughs> so what I wanna ask you right now, I want us to pretend that it's a full moon. And um, by the way, how we do this in our friend group is we just, um, in the calendar, we just made a note of every time there was a full moon. And we just say, it's a full moon. We do it in group text. What's everyone letting go of? It's just a beautiful, intentional thing to do. Because otherwise, you snap your fingers and it's September. And you don't know where the year went. And you don't know how you're still carrying baggage from last year. And you don't, you don't know where your goals are. So I'm going to ask you to pretend that it's a full moon right now. What do you need to let go of? See, we used to do this in the wrong way. We used to say, what am I not gonna carry with me into next month? And that went wrong because then we were giving answers of what we felt we were capable of letting go of. And that is not the question. The question is not, what are you capable of releasing? The question is, what do you need to release? And what's beautiful is that right now, I'm not asking you to know how to let go of it. I'm not asking you to know that you are gonna take these specific steps to get to that end game. What I'm asking you is what do you need to let go of? And so I want us to take five minutes. Asan's gonna play some groovy music and you're just gonna focus in on all the things that you did today the speakers you heard from, the work that we did, the sister that you stood up for, the community that we held space for. And from this work today, I want you to ask, what do I need to let go of? When you leave this conference for the last day and you walk out of those doors, what are you going to choose to not do anymore? And I promise you in the next two days, I will give you the inspiration. I will give you the motivation. I will give you the tactics. I'll give you so many tactics your head will spin. You will find one that works for you. But start with faith in yourself that you can do it. So what do you want to release? No one's gonna look at your paper. This is just for you. Take five minutes. Let's do some soul work. Let's do some soul work at home and let's dig in. We were intentional when we started this day about where we wanna go. We're gonna be intentional in this moment about what we release. Go for it. The Rachel Hollis Podcast is produced by me, Rachel Hollis. It's edited by Andrew Weller and Jack Noble.